is true. If I live the word, I will be blessed. If I don't, I won't. It's just that simple. Tell those people all around you, it's just that simple. Good to see all of you in the house of the Lord. Thank God for Dan and Kelly and their messages while we were gone. Let's give them a hand. They did a great job. Honey, why don't you come on up here and share? My wife and I have just returned from Washington, D.C., and uh, it's a a great time of uh, fellowship meetings over there. And so why don't you just share with the people? Well, um, we really did have a, a time of just really receiving a lot of revelation that you don't hear in the newspapers. Sometimes you have to talk to the people who are really in the middle of something, not those who are reporting what's going on in things. And so uh, we heard from people in uh, the Israeli army. We heard from people that were our senators, our congressmen. Amazingly, this year, over the years, this organization's 10 years old, Christians United for Israel, and... Uh, in the time that I've gone, different times, we have not had that many people in our congressional uh, areas of government be wanting to come see us. But over the last few years, our influence has gained credibility. 2.2 million people united for Israel, standing really for the United States, mostly standing for God. And that's really uh, what, what I see in that whole thing, people coming alive and alert who are in places who have authority. In our government, uh, we have authority as believers. We, we have the highest authority. But we also have people representing us who have great authority. And so those people uh, up on the hill, they call it, uh, when we go to speak with them, which we do the last day of this this greeting or this meeting, we go and sit, spend time with our congressional representative or our senator. We sit down and we talk about issues that have to do with what they're dealing with. We don't try to get them saved. We don't tell them everything we think they're doing wrong. We, we talk to them specifically. And Christians United for Israel this year, the thing that the only point that we were to talk about was the deal that was being made with Iran. On, on Monday, we didn't know that there would be a deal. It was still going on. But at 4 a.m. on on Tuesday morning, they signed that deal, and 6,000 of us showed up on Capitol Hill at noon. Now, that makes an impression on senators and Congress people because we represent, I forget how many, just one person going to see them represents of the vote voting constituency that's out there. So they're willing to listen. This year, uh, all the congressmen except one in the state of Indiana met with us. We had 20 people there. We were going to go as a group, which really makes a big impression. You know, when you come 20 people into their office, they don't have big offices. But we had to divide up because so many of them said they'd meet with us. So we all had to take our representatives and go. So I was there with Todd Rokita, and they have a picture. I guess it was on Facebook. That's myself and Deborah Avgerinos, who originally came and helped us start this church. And uh, we discussed the topics that we'd been given. We discussed, which my husband's going to share in a few minutes, the six points that they gave us to go over with our congressman and with our senator. And uh, in the midst of that, we, when we walked in, he, because of the 
committees he's on, you know, the people who are on the Armed Forces Committee, the Intelligence Committee, and there was one other one that they said immediately are in an emergency situation of meetings. And so he was one of those. And so as we came in, he was preparing to go to a meeting to discuss what was happening. And he said when we walked in, your timing is impeccable. It's the timing of God. (laughs) This man has had this organization for 10 years. And all of those years when it didn't look like a lot of times anything was happening, God was moving. Everybody say God was moving. And right on the day that they signed that at 4 a.m., we showed up in his office at 1.30 right before he was going to a meeting. And in this uh, particular Facebook thing, he says... Uh, He received information that was helpful to him. But what happened was Deborah, uh, when she came here, she later moved down to Brownsburg. She and her husband have like four or five restaurants called Flapjacks. Well, it just so happens in Brownsburg that Todd Rokita has had his meeting. She opened her restaurant to him after hours for a business meeting. And so when he looked at her, he said, I think I know you. And she said, yes, you've been at my restaurant. And he said, what's your restaurant? Flapjacks. Oh, I love flapjacks. And I love your signs because they're so patriotic. Fourth of July, he said, was wonderful. And she had God bless America, bless our troops, balloons everywhere. Well, see, you don't know when your life is for such a time as this. And Deborah's often said to me since she became a restaurant owner, well, you know, now I'm, I'm, not, I'm not getting to church because I'm, I mean, Sundays are her biggest day that she's in, in there serving people. But when people need prayer, they go to her restaurants and they look for her. Well, so we're sitting there. She has a voice. And she, so we sat down and he said, uh, so what do you have to share with me? So we shared about the organization, 2.2 million people representing uh, the Christians United for Israel, that we believe that Israel is the first line of defense, but it's only the first line that we are the next target, which Iran says that we are, you know, the little Satan, the big Satan. That's how they refer to us. And so she said, and I would just like to know why we're going to give billions of dollars to the number one uh, terrorist organization support in the world, which is Iran. We're now going to give them billions of dollars so that they're going to take care of their people when their people haven't been taken care of. And this money now is, we have a guarantee that it's going to go to help take care of economic issues. She said, I don't understand that. And he looked at her and he said, well, I'm getting ready to go in a meeting and that's good information. He said to his aide, write that down. He wanted that information because he hadn't seen anything yet. He said, how do you know this? We said, we, we haven't seen the bill, of course. Nobody had. It wasn't even our copy yet. It wasn't until six. But we knew what they had said in the six points that they were going to do or not going to do, depending on what they finally, the appeasement agreement, that's what this is, was signed. And so we gave away so many things. Well, later he read it, and I get his newsletter, and he said, we will never Sign, we will never sign agreement with this. I mean, they will oppose this. And so, uh, because all those things, but we had the six points. Now, how do you think that made, I, I said to Deborah, see, you don't know. 
You were saved by God for such a time as this. You had influence. Everybody say influence. She had influence because he was thankful for her letting him use her restaurant. And he said, I'm sending you a personal invitation to my town hall meeting in Crawfordsville. I want to see you there. And today, I didn't know it. He said, I'm going to be in your city. I didn't know at the time. He's coming to Lafayette today. I'm telling you, their ears are open. Now, he is a supporter of Israel. He has always been a supporter of Israel. But even the Democratic senator we went to, people's ears are open when it's coming election time and things are this serious. We need to be praying. Everybody say pray. We cannot all go sit in his office, but we can pray for all of our legislatures. This is critical, not just to Israel, folks. I've been there. The borders are all around Jordan, all the, all the borders, all the way around. Uh, Iran isn't just interested in Israel. They'll take everybody out. They, they want to rule the world. So this is a very dangerous situation for all the countries around there as well. And uh, for us, and Deborah said this to him, I want to know why they're building interballistic missiles and they're stomping on our flag today and stomping on the flag of Israel and crying death to America and we're signing an agreement with them. And, and I think when he got done, you know, he, he, was, he was so nice. But I think that God used not just what we were given him, but others that heard that day, all those congressmen from Indiana, all the, from all over the United States, there were 6,000 of us and every person was in their state talking to their representatives. I believe we made an impression. Never doubt what you're a part of is a little thing because God can make it a big thing. And you're there on purpose where you are. Sarah's in Saudi Arabia teaching on a campus, uh, English and teaching school, actually to special ed, right? Yeah. So, you know, we all have a position to play. We need to be wise and we need to understand the will and plan of God. Amen. For where we are. Good word. Give her a hand. Good word, honey. You need to, uh, you need to pray especially for, uh, Senator Donnelly, Senator Coates, and, uh, and Representative uh, Rikita. Uh, Rikita, as Pam said, is very pro-Israel, uh, on fire for the things of God, and he's a good man, and he'll be here. I encourage all of you that can, we're gonna tra- be there at two o'clock ourselves. Uh, and then pray for Senator Coates. I had the privilege of, uh, of visiting with Senator Coates. He's a very strong pro-Israel uh, supporter, and so there should be no challenges whatsoever with Senator Coates. Uh, I, I told him, there's only one thing we really need you to do, Senator Coates. And he said, what's that? And I said, don't retire. Uh, he's planning to retire this year. And I said, we need you in office. So whether he stays or not, uh, so far he's planning to retire. But you really need to pray for Senator Donnelly. I was very pleasantly surprised at Senator Donnelly when he was elected to the Senate. Uh, he was very pro-Israel, has been very pro-Israel, and has been very active in promoting the things for Israel in spite of the administration's movement away from Israel. But Senator Donnelly is going to have tremendous pressure put on him. He is going to be under a hot iron, and he's going to have to stand up and stand strong in the face of the adversary because they are going to be coming against him. And I'll explain that in just a moment to you because the, the uh, uh, agreement 
that was reached with, uh, with uh, John Kerry, our Secretary of State, uh, is very similar to Neville Chamberlain in World War II. It's a horrible agreement. It's not good for the American people. It's horrible for the world, and it's horrible for the United States of America, and it's even worse for Israel. And uh, I'm going to share a, a, a little bit of that with you because your voice needs to be heard uh, wherever you feel God wants you to give it. And I can't find, oh, here it is. And uh, I, I just want to share with you what has transpired very quickly because a, lo a lot of people don't have the information they need to pray and to be able to bind and to be able to loose and then also to be able to intelligently share with other people that, no, that's not right. This is the facts uh, and what you have is not correct. And uh, we were operating really in real time there because 4 a.m. they signed the agreement and when I was in Senator Coates' office he had a rough draft of some of the major points himself because he served on the Intelligence Committee and he was sharing with us. And how many of you realize that it would be great Take the Word of God aside for just a moment, which we should never do. How many of you think it would be great if people in Washington, D.C. and around the nation just operated with common sense? And realize that if you stick your finger in a bus saw, it's not a good thing. Never lick a moving blender. You know, all those kind of things that you should just, you know, that just doesn't make any sense to do versus, yeah, let's do it anyway and, and, and not stick your finger in the air, but, but know what's what. Well, here are the, the six points because Christians United for Israel and Victory Christian Center, we believe this, this agreement is horrible for the world. And uh, so here's, here are some of the points that are, are so understanding to most Americans. Number one, sanction relief. The sanctions should be gradually lifted, not all at once. And right now, the way it stands, Iran could benefit to the tune. They're going to be given, some of it their own frozen assets that we have, but they're going to be given upwards of $160 billion for signing this agreement. Now, that is one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. And, and, and it's, like, it's like sometimes you wonder if the oxygen gets all the way up to Senator Kerry's head, or not Senator, Secretary of State Kennedy. I mean, you just, th those are things that you do not do. The number one sponsor of terrorism, of Hamas, of Hezbollah, and of all of the, of the terrorist groups over there, they are the number one in the world, and we're going to release a potential of $160 billion to them. Not too smart. Number two, we started out the agreement stating that, we will in, that the United Nations will show up at any time and inspect your country and your nuclear facilities to determine if you are doing any more enrichment contrary to this agreement. They, the Iranians, turned it down and said, nope, we want 26 days notice. They signed off. The administration signed off. Okay, we won't come and surprise you without telling you 26 days of notice. Not too smart. Turn to your neighbor and say, not too smart. Past nuclear activity, they started out by saying, you must disclose to us 
everyone you've been in nuclear activity with, be North Korea, Russia, or anyone else, so that we will know what's going on in the world. They wouldn't do that. Non-nuclear sanctions, they want all of the sanctions removed even prior to their nuclear endeavor to have a nuclear weapon. That they do not want to do in this initial agreement. Arms embargo, they want released. They don't want that. They want to be able to purchase arms throughout the world. And the terms of any agreement must deny Iran a nuclear weapon. Now, let's all say it. So far, not too smart. Here's the one that I would like to know what possibly the President of the United States and the Secretary of State could have possibly been thinking. With this agreement, it appears, even the administration has said this, it appears that with this agreement, Iran would not be able to have a nuclear weapon for eight years. Isn't that awesome? We can kick it down the road to our children or our grandchildren or whatever, but they would not be able to have a weapon for eight years. Wouldn't it be great to have an agreement with a terrorist nation and say, you can never have a nuclear weapon? How many of you would say amen to that? Wouldn't it have been great if Neville Chamberlain said to Hitler, no, if you continue to do that, we're going to come over and destroy you and destroy the Nazi party and save all the Jews from the Holocaust. Wouldn't it have been great if they had taken Hitler at his word? We are signing, we have signed, an agreement with a terrorist nation on the day that the agreement was signed by John Kerry, the Ayatollah held a huge rally in Iran. And as Pastor Pam said just a moment ago, they burnt the Israeli flag, they burnt the American flag, and they chanted at the leading of the leader of Iran, death to Israel, death to America. They want Israel destroyed. And as soon as Israel destroyed, they're coming to America. You know, if your enemy tells you long enough and often enough that he wants to kill you, he probably is serious. Remember the old saying, if it walks like a duck, quacks like a duck, and seems to resemble a duck, it's probably a duck? Well, if a person looks evil, acts evil, talks evil, and does evil things, they're probably evil. Now, we're not talking about all the Iranian people, but we're talking about the leadership of Iran. We need to pray. When I got up this morning, I'm going to change pace here in just a moment. But when I got up this morning, I, I flipped on uh, the emails, checks to see what I had. And one from Jay Sukolo, uh, ACLJ, and a great organization. I encourage all of you to be involved with it. And, and I said, we need to pray for, uh, for the, uh, the four American prisoners that weren't even part of this deal that are still being illegally held in Iran. We need to pray for the two pastors in the uh, Sudan. They're South Sudanese pastors, and they're facing a death penalty for blaspheming Muhammad. Uh, and we need to pray for them. They aren't allowed to have uh, adequate uh, legal representation. We need to pray for them. And we need to pray that the full expose comes out about parenthood and the abortion mill that they are and the multi-billion dollar industry they have turned into. And, and now, how, how many of you, now, now it's so important that you have information. How many of you have seen the latest video of the doctor talking about harvesting the organs of babies ripped out of the womb and sold on the market? Okay. All of you should get on the internet and check that out. 
Now they're backpedaling very quickly from it, but they're harvesting. They, everyone knew that eventually somebody would start to harvest these organs. They're doing it right now for thousands, probably months on million dollar business. And as I was reading that coming in, and I was trying to get excited about this word today, and I am excited about this word today, but I thought, you know, that's not very exciting, Lord. So let's pray, and then we're going to have a little bit of a transition here. Father, I thank you that your word is truth, and I thank you, Lord, that there is no distance in the realm of the Spirit. What we bind on earth is bound in the heavenlies, and what we loose in the heavenlies is loosed on earth. We bind the work of the Iranian government against those four captives, and we demand that they be released in the name of Jesus. We know you can do that, Lord. And Lord, we also lift up the two pastors that are being held in the Sudan by that illegal, atrocious government and President Bashir, who's been indicted for war crimes. Lord, whatever it takes to get those pastors released, let it happen in the name of Jesus. We bind the work of the devil off their lives in Jesus' name. And Lord, we pray for a total revealing of the inner workings of the Planned Parenthood organization in America. Lord, I pray that you would be able to expose everything that needs to be exposed to the American people and that we would bind their atrocious abortion mills and profit centers harvesting organs of young babies in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Now turn to your neighbor and tell them there's good news. We have a lot of battles to fight, but we win the war. Tell your neighbor, we, we win the war. Don't become a pessimist. You need to be an optimist. Did you feel that went all right in the first service, honey? Turn to your neighbor and say, you need to be an optimist. Okay, so it's not all the news is not bad, okay? And even when you hear bad news, we got good stuff to trumpet with. Okay, this is a story. How many of you have twins in your family? Can I see your hand? This is a story about twins. And uh, it's, uh, did that fit anybody in your house? <laughs> you have twins. Anyway, it's about an optimist and a pessimist. How many of you would consider yourself an optimist? How, oh, my goodness. That's not very many hands. How, uh, how many of you would consider yourself a pessimist? How many of you don't know who you are, obviously? <laughs> okay, here we go. A family, <laughs> a family had twin boys whose only resemblance to each other was their looks. If one felt it was too hot, the other thought it was too cold. If one said the TV was too loud, the other claimed the volume needed to be turned up. Opposite in every way, one was an eternal optimist, the other a doom and gloom pessimist. And just to see what would happen on Christmas Day, their father loaded the pessimist room with every imaginable toy and game. The optimist room he loaded with horse manure. Now you'll get this later. That night, the father passed by the pessimist room and found him sitting amid his new gifts, crying bitterly. Why are you crying? The father asked. Because my friends will be jealous. I'll have to read all these instructions before I can do anything with this stuff. I'll constantly need batteries for all these toys. My toys will eventually get broken, answered the pessimist twin. 
Passing the Optimus Twins room, the father found him dancing for joy in the pile of manure. Why are you so happy, he asked. To which his Optimus Twin replied, Dad, somewhere in here there's a pony. (laughs) (laughs) Hallelujah. (laughs) Turn to your neighbor and tell him, I'm going to be an Optimus. I am going to be an optimist. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of you can turn to the book of uh, Esther, chapter four. And I'm I'm going to paraphrase much of this, but uh, honey, you brought me a treat in between services, and I dropped it on my tie. I dipped it on my tie. I'll stand like this, and nobody know. <laughs> Esther is a wonderful story about a person who was in a position for a time such as this. And I believe that many of us have an opportunity to be Esthers for the world and to be able to impact and touch lives for eternity. And you may wonder, well, what possible difference could I make? Who am I? You may touch the next Billy Graham. You may touch the next Esther who could save her people. I, I was praying last night and I was thinking about the Dreamland Children's Home. And this thought came to me. I wonder how many Esthers we have over there in those orphans. Because Esther was an orphan girl, a nondescript girl, although she was very beautiful, apparently. But she was an orphan girl and she had been adopted by her cousin Mordecai. And that through a series of events, she had been selected and eventually became queen right next to the king. But she had not been called in to see the king for some time, even though he had been part of the selection process of her becoming his bride. But it had been some time since she had seen the king, but she was in the king's palace as a Jewish girl for a time such as as this that was coming that I'm going to be sharing with you. All of us have opportunities to be positioned where God wants us so that we can be used mightily by God. And I believe it was in 2008 or 2009, I'm not sure the exact year, I preached a message on it's time to speak up, stand up, and act up. It's time to go against the grain and do what you know God is showing you to do and not be concerned about what anybody thinks. And, and, and after I, I preached that message, I had a couple of people, it was a different message, a couple of people at the door said, how do you think the people liked it? And, and I thought to myself, well, if I think about how the people like it, am I going to do what God says? Are you going to do what the people want? And, and sometimes you, you might think, well, yeah, that's great or that's not great. Or why are we getting involved here? Why are you getting involved there? I believe for too many years the body of Christ has been silent in America. That's why we have so many challenges in America. The righteous are not ruling in this nation. They are not ruling in this nation. And you might say, how can you say that about the administration? Any administration that allows a nation to get $18 trillion in debt, any administration that believes partial birth abortion is good, any administration that believes abortion is good, any administration that makes gay marriage a right in the law and pushes and, 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 and pressures the Supreme Court to go along with it, that is not the righteous ruling. That is not righteousness. I don't care whether it's a born-again spiritual Christian or not. It is not an act of righteousness. It is an act contrary to the Word of God and and contrary to the will of God. And if the sleeping giant, 70 to 80% of America claim to be Christians. We have 350 million people in this church. 
uh, in this church. Well, wouldn't that be? <laughs> I'm sure that was a prophetic word. <laughs> I don't even know if I'd want that. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding, God. I'm just kidding. But you know, 80% of 340, 50 million people, and they all rose up and said, enough is enough. There are two things that came, or two things they said politicians, well, if they're Christian, they want to serve God in an in, in office, but said the number one thing most politicians are concerned about is getting reelected. I'll let them be concerned about it. We need to hold them accountable for what they're doing and saying, are you representing what we believe is the will of God or not? Not the individual person. And, and so what happens is, is that there are people positioned for a time such as this. I believe, and, and I don't have time to get involved in all of this, it's, but it fascinates me, but I've always loved history. I've always loved history. Uh, uh, the, the Balfour Declaration that came as a result of an Englishman who had a heart for Israel that really helped birth 1948, the nation of Israel, after they were dispersed around the world. It came from England, and England befriended the Israelis around the world. And England, I believe, was blessed and was the most powerful nation on the face of the earth since the Roman Empire. But England changed. And with Neville Chamberlain, he turned his back on the Israeli people around the world. He let Adolf Hitler murder six million of them because he said, we need to appease this person and we need to give them things so that they will not come against us. It resulted conservative figures were about 20 million people were killed during World War II. England could have gone over and wiped out Hitler in the very beginning instead of appeasing him and took care of him right on the spot. Now, it, they didn't do it, and it cost World War II, and it cost over 6 million Jews' lives because of that. I think it's very interesting that the thing that happened to the Jewish people, how they were killed and burned... The word is, in most history books, that Hitler either took a cyanide capsule and died from, uh, from that poison, and then they burned his body so nobody would find it. The very thing he brought against the Jewish people happened to him and happened to his country. Germany never recovered from what they did because they turned their back on Israel. And the same thing can happen to the United States of America if we're not careful. The number one ally is it, stated... The number one ally we have in the Middle East is Israel. I think the number one ally we have in the world is Israel. And I believe the number one ally that Israel has in the world is the United States of America. And up until the present time, it's always been that way with our administrations. We've always really been supportive of Israel. I'm not saying they've done everything right, but scripturally we are called to support Israel. Well, Esther is in a position... And, and I'm going to paraphrase all this real quickly for you. But Mordecai is a good guy. Everybody say, Mordecai is a good guy. Mordecai. That's her cousin. That's, that's who adopted her. And Haman, who was kind of like a prime minister to the king, he's the bad guy. And he doesn't like the Jewish people. And he especially does not like Mordecai. Because when Haman comes by, all of the people bow down and pay homage to him. When he comes by Mordecai, Mordecai just looks at him and he doesn't do anything and he gets upset. Now, listen to this, because I believe this is where the body of Christ should be in the world today and in America today. Let me find it. OK, here it is. It's Esther, chapter three, verse three. This is this is this is uh, Esther, chapter three, verse three. This is about Mordecai. 
And all the king's servants who were within the king's gate bowed and paid homage to Haman. For so the king had commanded concerning him. There are a lot of commands going out in America right now. And a lot of Christians are saying, nope, not going to do it. Well, we're going to charge you a lot of money and fine you. Nope, we're not going to do it. Not about money. It's about doing what God tells you. But Mordecai would not bow or pay homage. Then the king's servants who were within the king's gate said to Mordecai, Why do you transgress the king's command? Now it happened when they spoke to him daily that he would not listen. <laughs> Isn't that a great thing? Turn to your neighbor and say, You don't always have to listen. Ah, <laughs> well, you should do this. You should do that. Let it go in one ear like you do other things. In one ear, out the other ear. In other words, we don't have to listen to all that stuff because we know what is right and what is wrong. And that was Mordecai. Now, Mordecai. To fast forward just a little bit, Haman decided, look, I am tired of this. I'm going to wipe out all the Jews, but I need the, key's permission, the king's permission. So I'm going to tell the king that there's a bunch of people out there that they're doing bad things. They don't like the king. By the way, turn to your name and say, he's paraphrasing a whole lot. You might go back and read this and say, I don't remember that in there. But anyway, he said, hey, king, I need your signet ring. Put a stamp on here. I'm going to kill all the Jews. He didn't tell them it like that. He just said, there's a group of people. The king said, okay, if they're doing bad things, go ahead. Here you go, Haman. Here's my signet ring. You do it. He did it. King decreed it. And away it went. And Mordecai heard about it when he read about it. And he said, he said, listen, we need to get word to Esther right away. And Esther, tell her that she needs to go to the king and tell him what's going on. And that if she doesn't, we could lose our entire race of people, all of the Jewish people. And so the word got to Esther and, and Esther had that word and she saw it and she said, hey, I can't do that. They lived under the law of the Medes and the Purge. This is an unbelievable law to American standards. It's unbelievable law to most standards. But that was a law where when the king said something, it was a decree. And once the decree was made, nobody, including the king who made the decree, could change it. You with me so far? In other words, it would be like if Keith said, Marie, this is the way it is. <laughs> even he couldn't change it. And even he would stand in amazement. No, I'm just kidding. Now. <laughs> but you understand what I'm saying, though? Once the king said it, it was settled. Nobody, even the king, could change it. So this is the story of it's going out to all the land. They can kill all the Jews on this particular date. And, and Esther said, wait, I, I can't go to the king. If I go to the king unannounced and he does, first of all, it's illegal to go to the king unannounced. But if he doesn't extend the sepulcher when I walk in, sepulcher or scepter? I keep saying, what is a sepulcher? It's a burial site. Yeah, it's a burial site. <laughs> I've done that before. Scepter. Seth, I did that the whole first service. I know, but we have tongues and interpretation. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mind looking foolish around you, but up here it feels funny. <laughs> if he doesn't extend that scepter, then he has no say in the matter. They take me out and they kill me. 
And I think Mordecai's advice was phenomenal. Here's what he said when he sent back to her after she said this. Esther, do you not think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than all of the other Jews? For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. I believe this is a word for America. We are not the answer for Israel. God is the answer and he wants us to be Esther. He wants to use us to help Israel. But if we won't respond, he gets somebody else. He gets somebody else. Deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Who knows whether or not you and I are on this earth at this moment for a time such as this. In one moment's time, Esther went from being an orphan to being a queen. And she saved all of her people because she went to the king, told him the story through a series of events and banquets. The king became furious and the gallows, which Haman had constructed to hang Mordecai, was used to hang Haman. And everything that Haman had was given to Mordecai. I believe that everything God wants us to have for this country is hanging in the balance. And I believe that much of it has to do with how we respond to Israel and how we respond to the moral situation that we find ourselves in. Who knows whether or not you have been called for a time such as this. I think about Pastor John Hagee and Christians United for Israel. Ten years ago, he called 40 pastors together in San Antonio. And he said, I have been feeling God wants us to start this organization. Would you join me? Our pastor, Pastor Billy Joe Doherty being one of them. Today, there are two 2.2 million members around this great nation and in other nations supporting the nation of Israel. And I believe that in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, when God said to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. He's talking about the Israeli Jewish nation that is the seed of Abraham. We are part of that seed. And it said that in you, all of the nations of the world will be blessed. Every nation. You can go back to the old covenant and you can read nation after nation after nation that blessed Israel. They were blessed. 
Nation after nation that came against Israel were crushed and they crashed. We hang in the balance based on what we do with the moral situation in America and with the nation of Israel. But the good news is that we have in the book of John, chapter 16, when Jesus said that I'm giving you the Holy Spirit and that he's going to lead and guide you into all truth and he's going to take everything that is mine and he's going to give it to you. And that if we will do what he said in Matthew chapter 16, deny ourselves, pick up the cross, follow after him and say, here I am, Lord. What is it that you have for me to do in these last days? It's going to be a glorious end as we continue into the end times. Let's stand to our feet. Thank God for every single one of you. Every one of you are a candidate to be used so mightily by God. And your voice needs to be heard. I picked this up in the Holocaust Museum a few years back. Uh, if you're ever in Washington, D.C., you need to make sure you go to that. First, they came for the socialists, and I did not speak out because I wasn't a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I didn't speak out because I wasn't a trade unionist. And then they came for the Jews, I didn't speak out because I wasn't a Jew. And then they came for me. And there was no one left to speak out for me. We need to be a voice for the unborn in the womb. We need to be a voice for nation of Israel. For the nation of the poor and the homeless. Mordecai was not moved by Haman's position of authority. And some people might say, well, isn't that contrary to Scripture? You are never to submit to ungodly authority. Never submit to the will of the Antichrist. But stand tall as an oracle of God, speaking with love, with compassion, and with total boldness. I know my God. I know his will, and I accept nothing less than the will of God, because you and I have been given the power to bind and to loose. You cannot bind what you do not know. You cannot loose what you don't know. But once you're full of the word of God, and once you know what the enemy is up to, you have the power and the authority and the dominion of Almighty God to be an Esther on this earth. How many of you would like to be an Esther? Save our country. Save people. Save baby. Save the nation of Israel. Would you bow your heads with me just for a moment? I want to ask you the most important question that you will ever answer do you know without a doubt that if you died today, you would go to be with Jesus? Maybe you're here and you're like a prodigal son. 
prodigal daughter, you know you have walked away from the things of God. God loves you, but he's calling you back to him. And all over this church, if you're here and you say, Pastor, I, I know that you're talking to me. Pray for me. I'm going to ask you just to lift your hand. And we're going to pray for you. Yes, I see your hand all the way back there in the back. Are there others? You say, I, yes, I see your hand. I know my life isn't right. I want it to be right. I see your hand there. Are there others? You say, See, it's just between you and God, but the Holy Spirit is moving and touching the lives of those people that you know your life is not right. And God loves you so much. That's why he's reaching out to you right now. That's what you feel. It's that embrace of God saying, come on home, child. Are there others? You say, pray for me. I, I know my life is not right with God, but I want it to be. But take just a moment. Let the Holy Spirit move. With those two of you all the way back there in the back, and this lady right here, Manny, you can come on up here with your friend. Way, way back there. Give them a hand as, as they come. Yeah, come on down here. Keep it up. Come on down here, sweetheart. Yeah, we are thanking God for each and every one of you. Stretch your hands out here toward these that have come. Stretch your hands out here toward these. We are glad that you are here today. We're all going to pray with you. We're going to ask you to pray this prayer. And we're going to pray with you as we pray, okay? Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and that you died for my sins. I've sinned and I've made mistakes. But today I acknowledge you as my Lord and Savior. I ask you to come into my heart. 